You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you to all of our listeners, and welcome to The Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. Today is July the 14th, Thursday the July the 14th, and you're joining myself, uh, Dr. Asham, and Asim Hashmi in the studio today. Asim, assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi peace be upon you too. How are you doing? I'm um, good, well? good. And you? Yeah, very well, alhamdulillah. We've got a really good show today. So um, for the first sort of segment after the, the kind of news update, we'll be discussing some really interesting topics. Um, the first segment we have is an interesting topic about is work-related stress a problem in the UK? We'll be looking at the aspects of stress and how it affects people and individuals and looking into kind of the surrounding um issues about advice on what people should do if they're experiencing stress at work uh, for the second segment we'll be talking about um uh, another very interesting topic which is uh looking at the kind of the increasing population and the rise before the fall um we'll be taking a look at some of the figures and the kind of age ranges of people and what's happening to the birth rate and the census results in the UK uh, as always we'll be discussing the islamic um kind of elements where relevant in the topics um and uh, we look forward to having your comments and input in the show if you'd like to get involved the number to call is 0208-687-7878 you can always listen to us on soundcloud catch up on google podcasts and tweet us at voice of islam uk uh Asim, what's been happening in the news any items you want to share Yes, so I've got a few items which I would like to share. Uh, the first item is rail strikes. What is the dispute about? So rail workers are set to strike on 27th July as part of an ongoing dispute over pay and conditions. It comes after thousands of workers walked out on uh, three days in June, uh, uh, causing severe disruption to millions of passengers. So when are the next strikes? Uh, members of the RMT union who work for train companies or network rail are set to walk out for 24 hours on 27 July. The announcement was made after the union rejected a new pay offer from network rail. Uh, RMT members include everyone from guards and signalers to catering staff and cleaners. So, separately, 2,500 members of another union, the Transport's uh, Salaried Staff Association, and also voted in favor of strikes action. Um, this has yet to uh, name dates for strikes. So, we will see another strike happening on the 27th of July. Also, there's another news item, which is um, a good news. Uh, first cost of living payments start to arrive in accounts. So direct payments to help with the soaring costs of living are starting to be paid by the government into 8 million people's accounts. Uh, Low-income households on means-tested benefits will receive the money automatically in the bank, a building society or credit union account. The first uh, £326 payment will be paid by the end of July. Uh, marked as uh, DWP, cost of living, the government has said. The second instalment of uh, £324 pounds will be transferred in the autumn. 
together they are the largest in a package of payments from the government designed to help with rising prices and especially soaring energy bills even so recipients can spend or save the money as they see fit uh, or, I mean, yeah, that, that's really interesting, isn't it, Hoshit? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. What, what do you think about the kind of support that the government's giving now? Do you think it's going to be enough? I mean, uh, it it is difficult time we're going through, but uh, I mean, anything helps, right? So even this yeah. uh, six hundred fifty pounds uh, will help some people, but of course. Um, I mean, the government is trying to do what they can, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's quite challenging, isn't it? Because some of the energy prices have gone so high, even higher than £650, you know? And they're set to... There's actually um, kind of predictions that this will soar even more. So even if it goes... Uh, even if the the government are giving that amount of support for many families in the UK that are already struggling they're just going to struggle even further so it's quite challenging you know trying to trying to balance all of that together um but yeah very interesting do you have any other kind of uh, bits of news um i was just trying to see some um so one news i have is sri lanka so we we do have some stuff going on in sri lanka <coughs> Do you have any news? I was just trying to get something. something yeah, out. of course. So there's a, so obviously the main headline at the moment in the UK is the Tory party leadership. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we've seen recently, we've heard on the kind of the news, news break as well, that um, Jeremy Hunt's dropped out and then is backing the uh, former Chancellor Rishi Sunak, who won the first round of voting. And uh, we have some other candidates as well. We have uh, the Foreign Secretary Liz Truss, who set out to kind of give her pitch for the next conservative leadership. So there's a a huge kind of um, element of political kind of voting going on nowadays Mm. with with the leadership. So it'll be very interesting to see. Just in terms of the results, we've seen that Rishi Sunak leads, you know, each candidate needs 30 votes to to proceed to the next next round. And the two that have been knocked out now are Nadeem Zahawi, and uh, Jeremy Hunt, like we mentioned. But there are still some other candidates with Rishi Sunak leading and followed by Penny uh, Mordaunt. Then we've got Liz Trust, um, Kemi Badnoosh, Tom, uh, Suella Braveman. So we've got some candidates at the moment, um, and it'll be interesting. So anything can happen, so we we should probably keep an eye on the Mm -hmm. kind of politics and and how this plays out as well. yeah, We've so, also got, hmm. sorry, go ahead, Arthur. Yeah, so for Sri Lanka, as, as I was saying, that Sri Lanka PM tells military to do whatever necessary to restore order. As you know, there have been some ongoing issues in Sri Lanka uh, where the you know the it's it's been a chaos basically down there. So what's happening is that um, Mr. Vikraman Singhi has been appointed acting president by President Gotabaya Rajapaska, who has fled the country. Uh, but the decision to leave him in charge triggered further protests demanding that the Prime Minister must also go. So Sri Lanka has been suffering from its worst 
economic crisis in decades. Many blame that uh, Rajapaska administration for the crisis and see Mr. Vikram Singh, who became Prime Minister in May, as part of the problem. So on Wednesday, for the second time in less than a week, protesters broke into highly secure state building. This time it was the Prime Minister's office. So echoing wow. earlier scenes over the weekend of the occupied president's official residence, people in the Prime Minister's office launched on plush sofa snapping photos while others stood on chairs and desks waving the Sri Lankan flag. So as we can see, there has been some chaos going on in Sri Lanka and we pray that all resolves peacefully. Yeah, inshallah. I mean, there's inshallah. there's a lot of... Um, if God wills, there's a lot of kind of um, disruption around the world in various different countries. So, uh, yeah, we do pray for the, the betterment in all societies. Um, one piece of news, I think, kind of moving on to the next item, just before we come on to the weather and sport, yeah. <clears throat> is this thing I wanted to ask if you've seen already, is uh, this documentary by Mo Farah, where he talks about his his kind of childhood and his life in general. Have you seen the documentary? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I've seen clips of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's actually really interesting. And actually, mm. in the news today, we found that the Metropolitan Police have actually opened an investigation yeah. into Mo Farah's revelation that, you know, he was trafficked as, as to the UK as a child. Um, Mo Farah, if anybody doesn't know, <laughs> um, is uh, 39 and he's a gold medal um, Olympic medalist um, runner long-distance runner and um, well-known by his name Mo Farah but it's a very interesting documentary and kind of spoiler alert he talks about how Mo Farah isn't actually his name and how he came into the UK uh, or was brought into the UK as a child what did you think of the documentary I actually didn't watch the whole documentary but I saw a few clips and it was of course a shocking news for everyone I guess no one did expect that that uh, this thing could happen, you know. But as as yeah. we probably don't know, these things are probably happening, um, like on probably on a reg regular basis, and we're not aware of it, you know. Yeah, exactly. There was one point in the documentary where he was speaking to kind of a leading expert on trafficking, and she suggested that there were about ten thousand recorded cases last year, uh -huh. and the actual number is probably even higher. Of near enough 100,000 um, children who have been trafficked into the UK. So it's incredibly, um, you know, shocking because nobody really expects this to, to continue happening in this day and age. But yeah. clearly, you know, this is and it's impacting on people's lives. And um, it's, it's, it's definitely a documentary, you know, at, at worth, uh, I kind of recommend people worth viewing and worth kind of, um, because it raises awareness of these kind of surrounding issues as well. Yeah, yeah. Right, shall we move on to the sport and then the weather? Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah, any any items in the sport from, from yeah. the side, I think? So, as we know, we, we're not having, like, these proper, like, Premier League matches and Champions League that's finished. Um, but we have some transfer news, interesting transfer news. Of course, I will talk about Chelsea first. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> we have a great transfer, which is uh, Raheem Sterling. Uh, Chelsea confirmed signing of Manchester City forward. 
Uh, Chelsea have confirmed the signing of England forward Raheem Sterling from Manchester City in a £50 million deal. Sterling, who is 27, has signed a five-year contract at Stamford Bridge. Uh, City signed Sterling from Liverpool in a £49 million deal in 2015. He went on to score 131 goals in 339 games, winning four Premier League titles. So that's the interesting news for Chelsea. Also, Khalid, uh, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but sorry about that, but it's Khalido Kalibali. Um, hopefully I'll pronounce his name correct. Chelsea set to sign Senegal defender from Napoli on a four-year deal. So this uh, the 31-year-old flew to London on Wednesday to undergo medical and finalise the move before he joins Chelsea on the United States tour. Also, another good news for Barca. Uh, Leeds United agreed deal with Barcelona for Brazil forward uh, Rafinha. Um, I mean, everyone tried to get him. Arsenal tried to get him and they thought they had him. Uh, Chelsea tried to get him also and they thought they had him. But Barca just came out and... I mean, uh, he he said that his heart was for Barca and that's why he moved to Barca. The move for the 25-year-old Brazil playmaker is reportedly worth initial um, 58 million euros, which is around 49 million pounds. Uh, Both clubs announced an agreement in principle and had been reached pending the player passing a medical. Uh, Rafinha, just a quick intro, has... um, um, played in 65 Premier League games, scoring 17 goals and providing 17 assists. Of course, this, these stats don't show du- justice, but uh, we all know that he's a really capable player. I think that's a that's, uh, few transfers which we had in the past yeah. few days. It's incredibly... Um kind of a you know sterling's move as well it's, it's, it's been it's going to have such a huge impact on the entire mm-hmm. and the league so that'll be interesting yeah. as well um very quickly over the cricket we've got england versus india the one day internationals and today is supposed to be another one day international um just a kind of a comment from moen ali is that um you know heavy defeat is actually is actually a good thing for for the england side because it gives them more to work towards um, and it, it allows the team, especially the second bench and other players as well, to look at the team and see what areas they can they can improve and strengthen the team. So, uh, yeah, cricket, if you're a huge fan following, um, continue. And today should be an interesting lineup as well. I think it's at Lords today and it starts at 1pm, England versus India. Mm-hmm. Um Awesome. Very quickly, let's brush over the uh, weather before we move on to our first segment. So um, I have the Met Office forecast here today. Yeah. Uh, for the UK, I'm focusing more around the kind of London area. We have uh, degrees, temperature degrees reaching 25 degrees uh, later on today by uh, late afternoon. Um, although it's a little bit cooler than yesterday and the day before we are still going to see high temperatures and they're set to increase again over the weekend um so keep your factor 50 and some protection on and if you're a hay fever sufferer the pollen is uh reasonable um but do remember your antihistamines and your um kind of hay fever medication as well 
Um, that's it from the the weather side of things. Um, anything from anything else you want to mention, Nasim? Um, I think that was about it. Um, yeah, I mean we we do have a lot of um other sports as well, but I think we we are more interested into um football and uh, cricket, you know. But uh, we also actually having uh women's uh, Euro. I think the, the, these are for qualifications. Um, yesterday we had some matches: uh, Sweden women versus Switzerland women. Um, Sweden women won two one, and um, there was an interesting match versus uh, versus um from Netherlands versus Portugal, um, which ended up Netherlands winning three two. Um, yeah, um, that I think that's about it. We also have the um, um women's Euros today, which is Italy versus Iceland and France versus Belgium. So that that was about it for the football news. Yeah, some great great matches lined up. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So before we'll be moving on to our, se- our first segment after the after a short break, um, and stay tuned. We'll be discussing is work related stress a problem in the UK, and we'll be looking at the aspect of stress, how it affects us as human beings, how it affects the work kind of uh, environment, and what does Islam have to say about uh, stress in the surrounding topic. So stay tuned to the Voice of Islam Radio. Prayer. You should know it for certain that your God has the power to do all that He wills. Then your prayer will be accepted and you will behold the wonders of God's power that we have beheld. Our testimony is based on seeing and is not a mere tale. How should the supplication of a person be accepted? And how should he have the courage to pray at the time of great difficulties, when according to him, he is opposed by the law of nature, unless he believes that God has power over everything? You should not be like that. Your God is one who has suspended numberless stars without any support and who has created heaven and earth from nothing. And would you think so ill of him as to imagine that your objective is beyond his power? Such thinking will frustrate you. Our God possesses numberless wonders, but only those observe them who become wholly his with certainty and fidelity. He does not disclose his powers to those who do not believe in his powers and are not faithful to him. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, <clears throat> welcome back to The Breakfast Show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. You're joining myself, uh, Dr. Sham and Asim Hashmi in the studio today. Um, today, so for the first segment, we're going to be talking about this topic about work-related stress and whether it's a problem in the UK. Now, if you'd like to share your comments and thoughts, you can give us a call on 0208-687-7878. You can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK and always catch up on the episodes on SoundCloud and Google Podcasts. So let's face it, you know, most of us have been under stress at some point in our working lives, whether it's long hours, heavy workloads, tight deadlines, um, workplace conflicts, you know, they're, they're frequent um, causes of stress and they can affect us in our working environment. 
This article we're looking at uh, discusses some of the symptoms of stress, and we'll be talking about these in a bit more detail, but things like anxiety, anger, loneliness, sadness, grief, and what to do about it. Um, It's important to keep in contact with your employer, but also give yourself some time to call off. Stress is actually, you know, a reason that can be used to take some leave, short leave from, from work as well. And if you need to kind of do that, what is the process, um, you know, to make sure that we do this properly without, uh, so you're looking after your mental health without affecting the other individuals. Um, stress, you know, especially triggered from the, the workplace, you know, it's, it's advisable that you have an initial period without any phone calls, emails or anything. And it might be an idea to kind of check in with your employer and and discuss these issues with them in order to achieve that healthy mental health kind of good work-life balance. Um, so some things to, to kind of talk about, Asim, you know, obviously stress is, is a huge, a huge kind of, uh, uh, you know, point to look into. Absolutely. It can affect yeah. anybody, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um Right, so should we talk about some of the statistics, Asim? Um, yeah, yeah. What are the kind of sure. percentages of, of sick leave and, and uh, um, related so, to stress? So basically, um, this, it states that 40% of all work-related sickness in the UK is caused by stress. So that means 4 in 10 absences caused by stress is you know, preventable. Um, it's, it's basically known as stress leave. And some signs and symptoms of stress, you know, which which can be seen is like anxiety, anger, and loneliness. Also, sadness, um, depression, grief. Uh, you know, stress can lead to a lack of motivation to work as well. So th- these are some signs of stress, um, which we can see here. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I think it's such a complicated thing obviously you know some stress is good it gives people kind of healthy stress you know it gives Mm. people kind of motivation to work to achieve something to overcome something and it can be very productive as well but having too much of uh, the stress you know the symptoms that you talked about if people are experiencing anxiety from work you know sadness depression even waking up in the morning and they're you know demotivated to work that can have kind of long-term impacts on on your health and mental health as well and we'll be discussing with some of our guests as to what what impact this has on the body and the, the human body but just very briefly you know the question is if you are kind of at that extreme level of stress you know do you need a, a sick note to to take leave how does the process work and actually you know it's one of these things that because you don't see um this it's one of these things one of these issues that you you're not able to see a problem you know like a broken arm or see someone injured that yeah. then mm-hmm. you know it's it's much harder for employers to understand but it's important to have this discussion with them and you know obviously the segment we're doing today and and other kind of uh, avenues that people are doing to raise awareness of of mental health issues and and how it impacts people. So, you know, the employers should ideally have um, empathy towards every case. And and, uh, you combine that with kind of understanding the employment rights. So if you're off work for seven days or less, you don't need to get a a sick note or a fit note from your your doctor or 
or um, healthcare professional. You can use something called self-certification. But if you're off work and it's affecting your mental health for more than seven days, then you'll likely need some kind of statement of fitness to work or adjustments for mm. work. So it's it's an important thing. I mean, what do you think about it, Asim? Do you feel personally ever feel that or know people about that stress? I mean, I've seen quite a few people, you know, like uh, one of my friends, I recently I saw that he had a lot of stress going on and then he just took leave for like 10 days, you know? And mm. because, I don't know, he he had a low time in, in his life. So it, it's it was all because of stress and nothing else, basically. No injury, no nothing. It was all because of stress. Sure. I mm. mean, it's one of these things that it affects the human body mm. in a different way where you can't always see it. Yeah. So let's yeah. understand a little bit more about this. Let's speak to our first guest, who is Cindy uh, Joda. Who's, Cindy is a senior cardiac nurse working with the clinical team at the British Heart Foundation. Uh, now, the British Heart Foundation is a cardiovascular research charity uh, in the United Kingdom, and it's very well known. It funds lots of medical research related to the heart and uh, circulatory d- disease and other risk factors. Um, Cindy, welcome to the Voice of Islam radio station. Hi, good morning. Good morning to you and good morning to all the listeners of the Voice of Islam. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for joining us and, and discussing this really important topic that we're, we're trying to, to gain a better understanding of and raise awareness of. So. Could you start by telling us some of the the impact of long-term stress, particularly individuals who, you know, are affected by this in, in the long term, have to take time off work. What are some of the physical changes that can occur in the human body? Um, we all go through stressful time at some point in our life, and it's really unavoidable. Um, stress is a kind of natural body reaction and the body way of kind of coping with the challenges placed upon it. Um, Our minds and bodies have a way of um, letting us know if stress is becoming too much. Um, So, um, and that caused this sort of fight and flight reaction, um, which um, in the short time, blood pressure goes up heart rate goes up, um, and so you can get kind of immediate heart effects, if you like. Um, If the stress is temporary, we expect to see everything goes back to normal um, once everything is settled. Um, So any signs like um, having palpitations, feel your heart is racing, feeling sweaty, um, breathless, or other signs of stress, you know, um, feeling tearful and anxious, um, being short-fused, perhaps uninterested in life, um, it might be a sign that stress is really affecting your health and um, maybe your heart in long term as well. Um, so at that point, we would say definitely go to your um, doctor and um, they can talk about ways to support you. Thank you very much. Um, so my question is that... Um, how do the heart and you know the circulatory system respond when the body is is, is experiencing stress? That's a very good question. As I said, um, when we are stressed, it's all the fight and flight reaction um, that you get um, 
and um, your body produces adrenaline, mm-hmm. uh, which makes the blood pressure goes up. And for many people, as I said, if the if the stress is temporary, the blood pressure will reduce when the stress is removed. Uh, but I think uh, what is concerning is that when this continues for long term, uh, when this kind of effect happens continually, then it can be harmful for our health and harmful for our heart. Um, And also, stress can lead to unhealthy habits uh, that may increase your risk of having heart and circulatory disease. Um, Unhealthy habits such as eating more than usual, um, choosing unhealthy foods, smoking or drinking too much alcohol, uh, which all can lead to have a high cholesterol, high blood pressure, risk of type 2 diabetes. And these are the risk factors that increase your risk of um, heart and circulatory disease, such as heart attack or stroke. Um, I have to say there is um, sort of now increasing evidence that stress hormones can have a direct effect um, on your risk of cardiovascular disease, which uh, will be compounded by some behavioral risk factors uh, and perhaps unhealthy uh, behaviors that I mentioned. Uh, so the sort of signs to look out for in terms of coronary heart disease is if you're getting any chest discomfort, <clears throat> tightness, or um, increasingly feeling breathless, particularly on exertion when you're doing something, and that's when it starts normally. That's the kind of early signs. Um, but other symptoms as well. If you're feeling very tired, if you're feeling dizzy, uh, just sort of generally feeling unwell, that could be signs that actually your heart is starting to be affected. Um, so you really, at this point, you definitely need to, without a doubt, go and uh, get medical help. Talk to your doctor um, for two reasons. One, to have a heart health check, uh, but also get some tips um, to kind of help you manage your own stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was some interesting things you told us about. Um, so an important question is that uh, what help is available, uh, you know, from the British Heart Foundation? Um, there are lots of support and advice available um, on our webpage Mm -hmm. um, to help you how to deal with the stress. Um, You can also look at NHS sites. They've got um, kind of um, some support for how to deal with the stress. Um, Seeking support and making sure you sort of stay connected to people is very important. Um, Just reach out. Talk to your friends and family. Don't think you are... Um, you have to cope with this in isolation um, and also um, aim to eat healthy food. Um, avoid reaching for junk food um, as its effects are short lasting and we all know we will feel worse in long run. Um, we know that if you try, and uh, it sounds a bit obvious, uh, but we know that if you really do a lot of self-care, um, you can really help with the stress. So making sure you eat well, get outside, get connected with nature, um, maybe take a hobby, um, try and get um, have lots of rests. And these are sort of tried and 
tested and established ways of really kind of looking after yourself and helping you manage your stress. Um, but if you need additional information on understanding stress, um, I would advise head to the British Heart Foundation webpage and um, look at our um, information on that page. That's fantastic. Cindy, I think you've given us some really good information about things to look out for, kind of what habits people can develop when they have long-term impacts of stress. I suppose one question to, to ask is that, um, you know, is there a particular kind of age range or particular gender or particular kind of thing that, that increases people's risk of experiencing stress and stress-related um, issues, like you said, high cholesterol, diabetes and, and smoking? Um, is there a particular kind of a, a set of population where, where you tend to see this more? Obviously, um, you can you can get stressed at any age or any gender. It's not any specificity about who will become more. So obviously, um, things like um, economic issue maybe affect young people more than older age. Um, but um, people who have got also um, other um, um, comorbidity, like um, kind of other illnesses. Um, like type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, um, or a condition called heart failure, or if they had a heart attack previously, they really need to keep yourself calm in this stressful um, situation um, and uh, basically see is there anything they can do to make things easier for themselves. Um, and um, if they can't, try to take them away at, outside the situation um, because we all know stress long term hasn't got a good effect on our body um, but stress can affect anyone that's the summary of what I want to say and you need to really look after yourself fantastic Cindy you've given uh, Cindy Joda you've given us some fantastic uh, input on today's show and hopefully helps people better understand stress the relate to the, the the kind of relation to the human body the impact that has and um uh, kind of raises awareness of, about the surrounding issues um thank you very much for joining us on the breakfast show thanks ever so much for having me thank you bye very bye. much Bye-bye now. That was Cindy Joda, who's a senior cardiac nurse working with the clinical team at the British Heart Foundation. Some very interesting bits of information there. If you'd like to catch up on the show, you can catch up on SoundCloud and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to get involved in the discussion, you can give us a call on 0208-687-7878. Tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Um, I think we actually have a caller on the line at the moment, uh, Salim Rahim. Um, peace be upon you. Welcome to the breakfast show on the Voice of Islam Radio. Yes, yes peace be upon you too. Wa alaikum so, salam. What would you like to say, uh, uh, Salim? Yes. Uh, so basically, I, I, you know, this topic is very interesting. Uh, obviously, work-related stress or a stress uh, problem in the UK. Certainly, I believe it is a problem in the UK as well as any other nation. You know, the key thing here is. How do we deal with it? Uh, being conscious of our surroundings and knowing that we can change ourselves to improve, uh, the, uh, you know, is an art form to master. So um, I'm sure your previous guest may have discussed as well about a number of things which I think we can do, a number of ways to deal with stress, you know, reflect and review ourselves, 
ask our inner self questions. Why is the stress occurring? Communication is a key aspect here. You know, how do we feel our inner self and how and opening up with others, but only opening up to the Almighty Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala because really dealing with stress. You can only deal with having a positive outcome and seeking guidance uh, to overcome the stress only comes from the higher being, which is our creator of the universe. So, and then also setting many goals, you know, and um, striving to achieve them. So things like improving the diet and exercise, uh, that can assist. So, you know, that was really what I want to say. And I just uh, want to finish this with saying, may Allah the Almighty help us all keep a positive visualization for successful outcomes. Um, Absolutely. Um, Salim, what do you think about, you, you know, you mentioned, how important do you think that relationship or that spirituality is in helping people with these kind of issues like stress? It's a paramount. I mean, you step out in the morning, straight away you could see things around you, that perception of, um, you know, the environment, it can have a, a negative effect on you. You can only change yourself and you can only seek the guidance from the Almighty. That absolutely is paramount. I believe, you know, praying throughout the day, if you're in a situation where you feel stressed when you identified that, say a short prayer, you know, what, wherever you are, you can do that. And that actually can um, instill some sense of positivity within yourself. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's f- fantastic. Um, I think we... Uh, kind of benefited a lot from hearing our, our previous expert as well and your comments as well have been uh, you know we're really grateful to, to have you on the show and, and share your thoughts and comments thank you very much for joining us on The Breakfast Show on The Voice of Islam Radio thank you very much take care of a good day Salaam Wa alaikum Salaam peace be upon you Jazakallah so um, awesome some fantastic input there yeah. from our, our guest and Absolutely, our expert yeah. Uh, as well in our, our recent caller mm-hmm. um, explaining. Now, he, he's Salim's discussed about kind of the impact of spirituality, relationship with God Almighty, and how that can have an impact in, in strengthening your resilience and, and tackling stress. Um, what does Islam have to say, have to say about, about this, this issue? So, Asham, uh, um, the teaching of Islam is, uh, you know, so coherent that it keeps every human faculty in balance uh, precisely it, it as its appropriate place and nurtures it this is a magnificent a miracle of our prophet peace and blessing of Allah be upon him uh, the promised messiah um, uh, states that do not let enmity of any sort prevent you from dispensing justice unite with each other do not be mean to one another and do not show envy prejudice, jealousy, and cold-heartedness. There are two significant commandments of the Holy Quran. The first is unity of God, His love, and obedience to Him. Exalted be His name. The second is to treat your brothers and fellow beings with kindness. This is, you know, this is clearly we can see that if if we leave out all of this stuff which the promised Messiah has mentioned, like prejudice, jealousy, cold heartedness, a lot of stress can be prevented, you know. So prayer for strength and superiority, increase of uh, sustenance and deliverance from debt. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, advised um, Hazrat Mu- Muaz anhu, um, to recite these two verses 
for deliverance from debt. He said that if a believer is in distress, recite these verses, God would rid him, uh, rid him of the burden of debt and misery. So uh, Muqatil bin Hayyan uh, said that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, was taught this prayer for victory over Persia and Rome, which is um, in chapter 3 of the Holy Quran, verse 27 and 28. And it's as follows, O Allah, Lord of, of sovereignty, you give sovereignty to whomsoever you please, and you take away sovereignty from whomsoever you please. You exalt whomsoever you please, and you abase whomsoever you please. In your hand is all good. You surely have the power to do all things. You make the night pass into the day, and you make the day pass into the night, and you bring forth the living from the dead, and the dead from the living, and you give to whomsoever you please without measure. I think that's um, <clears throat> such a beautiful way of, of praying to God Almighty, because essentially what we're saying is that, you know, God, you have the power over all things, mm -hmm. and complete Absolutely. control, yeah. and um, we turn to you in our time of, of stress. And many, you know, studies have shown many there's a lot of research going on and looking at the impact of how spirituality, your relationship with God Almighty, your relationship with your uh, religious community, how all of these factors can be protective against, um, you know, depression, anxiety and long term mental health illnesses. And clearly there's a link that, you know, when we suffer, even even throughout uh, Islamic teachings, we're given this various prayers that, you know, during our time of suffering and trial or stress, we turn to God Almighty and pray to Him to help us and be our helper. And it's almost a way to enable you to recognize your Creator, to build that relationship with Him. Um, there are various other kind of verses in the Holy Quran as well, talking about kind of justice and how, um, for, for example, in the Holy Quran in chapter 4, verse 136, uh, Allah states that, O ye who believe, be strict in observing justice and be witness for Allah, even though it be against yourselves or against parents and kindred. Whether he be rich or poor, Allah is more regardful of them both than you are. Therefore, follow not law desires so that you may be able to act equitably. And if you conceal the truth or evade, then remember that Allah is well aware of what you do. And it's almost pointing towards this kind of acting with justice towards each other so that again all of these things have an impact on stress if somebody is for example suffering with stress at work and needs time off you know is to act justly and recognize that that this individual um you know to, to kind of share that empathy as well so islam in itself you know that it encourages the kind of support and relationship between the creation and his cre and the creator um and that kind of aids to, to help heal stress, stress and tackle stress. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, Dr. Sham, we we both can guarantee, you know, that just even just praying to God, you know, if if you are stressed out, I mean, a person, yeah, I can say that I stress out a lot just for small matters, you know, and uh, I only find one solution, just one solution is just pray to God, you know, um, whenever it's prayer time, 
pray to God and you can see the difference after when you pray to God and you feel so much at ease that I think our, our listeners will be really shocked that uh, it has it can have so much effect on you and you know um, I mean Dr. Sham you can actually also say that it, it, it's the best let's say the best remedy for stress absolutely the, the, the prayer in itself is something that every individual goes through on a personal level and mm -hmm. here on the Voice of yeah. Islam radio you know we discuss the Islamic aspects the importance and Islam really does encourage the 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 God of Islam, Allah, Allah the Almighty, he, you know, the, if you look throughout the um, the, te the teachings of the Quran and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, you see so much mercy, you see so much love towards the creation. So turning to him, in your, especially in your times of stress or um, and being grateful when you're not, not, not stressed, kind of praying to him, building that relationship is mm -hmm. hugely important. Yeah. It allows for, for a person to have that, that support, isn't it, with with um with god almighty that absolutely. personal relationship isn't it absolutely yeah and actually in the holy quran in chapter 13 verse 29 and i think this this verse kind of sums up everything that we're trying to say which is surely in allah's remembrance do the hearts find peace and don't you think Asim, that really that's, sums it up that, that's beautiful you know, that, isn't it yeah absolutely yeah that that peace that each individual desires to actually remember God Almighty, in other words, to talk to Him, to build that relationship, to pray to Him. So through that, you can actually achieve that peace and not almost offload your stress and mm -hmm. and uh, ask the other, uh, your Creator to, to help you, who's created this, who has control over everything and created the entire world. So He's the individual, He's the person we, we, we turn to. Um, I think, I think, you know, we've had some really interesting impacts on this, this first segment. We will be speaking to another guest caller, but one thing that I, I was really kind of surprised about or very interested about was when uh, our guest caller, Cindy Joda, talked about the various habits that people turn to to deal with stress. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like eating, um, yeah, yeah, overeating, yeah. smoking, or, you know, just uh, other kind of lazy, you know, other kind of habits. That yeah, people some people actually do under-eating, they eat less, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just very quickly, does Islam say anything, or, or do you know of anything personally that Islam encourages about um, moderation and how to live a balanced lifestyle or anything that you can kind of add there in terms of the Islamic aspect? You know, um, it's, it's basically Islam promotes to live a balanced life and to do everything in moderation. Um, you know, within the AMD Muslim community, we have a special department also who serves uh, for serving humanity, also known as Khidmat Khalq, with the goal to help each other. So um, there's a hadith actually that um, that according to Holy Prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, he said that we should eat a third of our stomach, drink a third and leave a third empty. Uh, over in indulgence brings about health complications in itself. So uh, we, we can see from <coughs> this that um, it's, it's simple basically just eat a third of, of our stomach and drink a third and leave it empty a third empty so you know overeating less eating can you know um, be bad for you sure so yeah. this aspect of, of moderation and, and kind of uh, um, you know treating everything equally is, mm -hmm. is encouraged in Islam that, that's really interesting um, 
so after the news, I believe we'll be speaking to our, our next guest caller as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, do, do stay tuned to the Voice of Islam radio. And if you want to share any thoughts and comments, then um, you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. If you want to get involved in the discussion as well, the number to call is 0208-687-7878. Stay tuned to the Voice of Islam radio station. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, peace be upon you to all of our listeners. You're listening to The Breakfast Show here on The Voice of Islam Radio with myself, Dr. Asham and Asim Hashmi. And we have been discussing an incredibly interesting topic about work-related stress in the UK and the impact that has on the human body, what people can do to uh, look out for stress and stress-related illnesses and how they can take time off. Um, we've had some fantastic guests <clears throat> experts and uh, guest caller call in the first segment so if you'd like to catch up on the show you can catch up on soundcloud and google Podcasts. if you'd like to share your thoughts and comments you can give us a call on 0208-687-7878 and tweet us at voice of islam uk now Austin, we're going to move on to our second guest um who is lottie mickelson uh lottie's a leading laughter yoga master so laughter yoga master trainer with over 20 years experience in the uk she's trained more than 1700 laughter professionals and has been leading to corporate workshops for thousands of people her experience includes running programs for national and international corporations mainly with the it sector and she plays a key role in the development of laughter-based activities and training this is really interesting lottie welcome to the breakfast show well, thank you very much. And that was quite an introduction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've been having a fantastic kind of uh, time discussing this topic. And it's very interesting to, to kind of hear about this uh, laughter yoga master. So tell us a bit about um, laughter and how it relieves, relieves stress. I'd love to, yes. Um, the thing is, with laughter, we are often, as, as people, we're depending on other people to make us laugh. So laughter is very sporadic so to speak and um and it doesn't necessarily happen very often during the day and when we're laughing and we really get the laughter into our body and into our using our diaphragm for the breathing and the laughter then we're connecting in with the the parasympathetic central nervous system which is our calming branch of the central nervous system so we get that relaxation sensation it's not the only thing that happens and the only way it relieves stress. And uh, there's research from way back in 1979 by uh, Dr. Lee Burke at Loma Linda University who actually um, provided evidence that when you're releasing endorphins, which is our happy chemical, which many people know yet, <laughs> the endorphins counterbalance stress chemicals like cortisol. And in that way, you lower stress and you know they're not going to affect when you lower stress. You give your immunity a really big boost because stress really inhibits, and I'm sure you, you've discussed that already, it inhibits your, your ability to fight illness and, and maintain strong health. So, I mean, the, the way to, to laugh, of course, is to get the laughter into our body, which is not really common practice in, in our normal social setting. That, that's in, interesting, really interesting. I might need to... Um try this laughter relief stress uh, so the uh, second question um, which we have is that how do you initiate laughter in in the stress management 
Yes, that's <laughs> that's one of the things because, like I said before, we are relying on other people to maybe trigger our laughter and, and say something funny or do something funny and then we laugh. But it's really brief. So this is about intentional laughter and choosing to laugh. So, for example, when you wake up in the morning, um, lots of people stretch, stretch and, and that's very good for us, mm. for our circulation and mobility and flexibility. We should also stretch our lips so we, we <laughs> sort of do our first little smile. And that may not feel right, but actually the simple movement of stretching the lips into a smile, even if it's not real, it triggers the, the chemical reaction and the release of endorphins, among, among other things. So we put ourselves in a frame of mind where we can more easily cope with whatever uh, is shown during the day. And, you know, when you're in a good mood, you handle things much better. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the whole stress management. So you would maybe also take a deep breath in. And when you breathe out, you would breathe out with a little ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha. Because ha-ha-ha does the same as when you're stretching your lips. It, gives, it puts a smile on your face. And that muscle movement is what connects in with the pleasure centers in the brain. I was actually stretching. And that's a lot of research to support it. Pardon? I was actually stretching my lips as you were speaking. <laughs> as long as you don't stretch them downwards. <laughs> <laughs> But the easy, it's maybe even easier to just take a deep breath in and really feel the stomach going out because that's where you're using the diaphragm. And then when you breathe out, you, you say ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So, can you explain the the physiological changes that occur, which actually leads to and stress relief? Well, th- one of the things with laughter is this chemical reaction that happens. Endorphins is a really well-known happy chemical that lifts our mood, but it's not the only thing that happens. We release um, or we increase the production of serotonin, which is our natural antidepressant depressants and you know when people are really really stressed they start going in a downward spiral maybe a lot do yeah and then suddenly they find themselves in a really low mood and maybe on the verge of of becoming depressed so these chemicals are like this cocktail is what really shifts our our biochemistry um, and make us even healthier uh, and feel better and that's really what it's all about serotonin dopamine Dopamine, our, our, the chemical that gives us our drive and our wish to achieve and perform and, and so on. And that's also triggered in bigger doses. Plus, of course, we release things that connect us because that's one of the main parts. I don't know if you, I mean, a lot of people, you've been talking about the workplace and workplace stress. And one of the factors right now is how are we working? Are we doing a like a hybrid model, are we having to go back into the office, which also stresses a lot of people. And, you know, the the thing that stresses people too is the opposite, where are we staying home so we're not connecting with people and getting that daily uh, banter or, or meeting people and connecting in that way? Because that's also part of what maybe can, can help us with the stress in our lives. But... There's so much going on in terms of the contradictions of what we want and what we don't want. And um, it's finding ways to, to cope with it. And I think laughter is one of the most easy things because you can literally just breathe in and go, ha, 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 when you breathe out. 
and you feel different. Even if it's pretend to begin with, it shifts into something real. Sorry, I, mean, I keep Lossie, talking. <laughs> no, no, that's fantastic. It's really interesting listening to kind of the impact. I was just thinking that, you know, the people have different mechanisms to, to kind of uh, adapt to it. You know, we see people watching YouTube videos or, you know, like funny yeah. laughter videos. And in the comments, you see people saying that, oh, this is, you know, improved my day or made me feel better yeah. when I'm So you can clearly see a kind of a relationship between laughter. Um, one question I have is that, you know, this this exercise, you know, you described that you can, I'm assuming you can do this individually or, or is it better to do these kind of exercises and and um, would people benefit more in a group setting or is this something you can use yourself on an individual basis? The the best thing ever is to laugh together. But the fact is that we're not always together. And that's where it's so important to choose to do the laughter exercise by ourselves. And we can do them. But of course, if you have people around you where you can say, oh, let's do this together and take a deep breath in. Ha, 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 And you're looking at other people, you have that instant connection and that's where the real laughter flows. But you can do it with your own mirrored image. And then when you look at yourself going, ha, 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 maybe it leads on to the real laughter and that's so beautiful. But, you know, the thing you were saying, can I just comment on the thing with the YouTube clip? Yeah, of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, because I think you're absolutely right. People need to look for things that can trigger that laughter. If they don't have the... If, will yet have the, the ideas and the knowledge on how they can choose to laugh even without it. But the fact is also that these YouTube clips are, are great and there are so many different ones that can make us laugh. And there are all these like cats and dogs and so on that are funny and, and you know, pets are great sources of fun, yeah? But a comedy and humor is so individual and it's not necessarily what you find funny, I find funny and what he or she finds funny is the same thing. And, and so what makes one person laugh is not necessarily the same for, for everyone else. And that's where intentional laughter is so important because we literally choose to do it sure, as, an as an exercise. As an ex yeah, absolutely. I suppose that leads on to, to our final question, which is about la these lofty yoga workshops. I'm really interested to, to kind of understand what, is it, what happens there and um, how do you kind of in, um, encourage that? I'm assuming it's in a group environment uh, yeah. setting. Yeah, it's, um, well, introducing what is bad and so on. So people are on the same page and know exactly what to do. And then... Um, starting off the laughter as exercises where we do different movements and, and so on. Like, for example, you know how in business environments when you meet uh, customers and clients and colleagues and, and so on, you go up and just shake hands. Or at least you used to do that a few, until a few years ago and then you you sort of got a little bit hesitant when you meet people now you don't really know do we shake hands or do we not shake hands. And you can do this as an exercise where you go up to people because in the groups, you have a lot of movement and eye contact and, of course, a willingness to be part of the whole group and do the exercise. So you go up to people and you reach out to shake hands. But then last minute, you may take back your hands because you're not really sure, are we shaking hands now? And with this move, you just go, <laughs> and these are the kind of exercise you could go around with a pretend mobile phone to your ear and just share the phone call with laughter. <laughs> so we do these exercises and when people interact in this way, 
and get eye contact. That's where you find the real laughter. And it's That's so infectious, so contagious that, you know, at the end of a session, we do a, a laughter. It's called a laughter meditation, but it is really free-flowing laughter where you just allow yourself to laugh if you feel like it. And if you don't feel like it, it's just listening to the laughter around you. That's because fantastic. After a laughter session, people are so close to their laughter, so it literally just flows at that time. <laughs> absolutely. Um, Lottie, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on The Breakfast Show. It, just finally, if anybody wants to find out any information, where can they access your resources? Well, they're more than welcome to contact me via unitedmind.co.uk. And if that's if you forget that it's or if people forget that name, it's uh, also laughteryoga.co.uk. Maybe an easy one to remember <laughs> because that Fantastic. is what it is, isn't it? <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much, Lottie Mickelson, for joining us on the Breakfast Show on the Voice of Islam Radio. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure. I really love spending time on the Radio Voice of Islam. Fantastic. Thank you very much. So 0208-687-7878 is the number to call if you'd like to share your thoughts and comments. And uh, you were just listening to Lottie, who is a leading laughter yoga master. So some incredibly interesting discussion there. Um, Awesome. What do you think? Yeah, I mean that that was really interesting. I, I was I was just uh, stressing. I'm um, sorry, stretching my lips, and it helped me, you know. <laughs> so yeah, a laughter would be a good way to relieve your stress. Absolutely, fantastic. So um, just before we move on to our our second topic, we're going to take a, a quick break. Just before that, Asim, you know, did, I just wanted to touch on this this hadith or this saying of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu where he. Um, encouraged the action of smiling Mm -hmm. and uh, equated it to an act of charity. So can you tell us a bit about that and how that might have an impact in in terms of the topic we're discussing today? Yeah, I mean, um, as you you said that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings upon him, has said that, uh, uh, you know, smiling is act of charity. Uh, uh, we can just see that if you can see a person who's probably having a bad day. You, you've probably seen on YouTubers also that have done some experiments that just, you know, uh, gives, give a, do a good deed to someone and they were stressed out and they were just, just had a good day, you know, and it made them laugh. So, like, just smiling at someone can make someone, someone's bad day turn into a good day you know it's simple i guess fantastic yeah. right um so let's move on to our second segment awesome um i think we have a clip before that and yeah, then absolutely. we'll go to go to a short break and then move on to our second segment where we'll be just talking about the uh, increasing population stay tuned to the voice of islam radio apart from enshrining freedom of belief as a core human right The Holy Quran has also given many guiding principles for day-to-day life through which people can live together peacefully, irrespective of their different backgrounds or beliefs. For example, chapter 2, verse 189 of the Holy Quran says that the principle uh, that uh, about the fair uh, trading and ensuring the integrity of all financial relationships or transactions. In this verse, 
Allah the Almighty has instructed Muslims that they must never acquire wealth or property through means of deception. Rather, Muslims are taught to be honest, trustworthy, and to uphold the truth so that grievances and malice do not develop between different parties. Islam teaches that unfair dealing and unjust trading weakens this unity within society and destroys its peace. Certainly, at a time when so much of the world's disorder and suffering both at an individual and a collective level is based upon selfishness and greed, the principle of equity and justice are crucial to maintaining peace within society. <clears throat> Furthermore, in chapter 83, verses 2 to 4, the Holy Quran states, Woe unto those who give short buyers, those who, when they take by, uh, by mayor from other people, take it full. But when they give by mayor to others or way to them, they give them less. These verses affirm that those who are exploited, exploitative in business transactions who try to shortchange others whilst demanding more than their dues in return and who resort to deception and fraud are cursed and will be disgraced. The Holy Quran has also given detailed guidance <coughs> regarding international relations and resolving inter uh, internal conflicts <coughs> or those that arise between nations. <coughs> the Islamic focus is always on establishing sustainable peace and eliminating enmities and rivalries. For example, chapter 49, verse 10 of the Holy Quran states that if two parties or nations are in conflict, then their neighbors or neutral parties should seek to bring about reconciliation through meditation, uh, mediation and negotiation. Those who intervene must remain impartial rather than trying to settle the outcome in their own best interest. If peace cannot be established through dialogue or if any party subsequently violates the terms of a negotiated settlement, then the other nations should unite against whosoever is perpetrating injustice and use force to stop them. Once the aggressors adopt peace, they should not be humiliated and nor should unfair sanctions be levied upon them. Rather, in the interest of fairness and long-term peace, they should be permitted to move forward as a free society and given whatever support is required to rebuild their nation. I believe that this outstanding Quranic principle is not just of value to Muslims, but is a universal principle for dispute resolution. And if acted upon can prove a means of stabilizing the world and developing lasting peace.
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. You're listening to The Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam radio station with myself, Dr. Sham and Asim Hashmi um, today. And in the first segment, we were talking about stress, work-related stress, and we've had some fantastic guests and a caller on, on the first half. Um, just to highlight, the clip you were listening to before was um, the voice of the Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and he was discussing and trying to highlight the essentially the unfair and unjust treatment at work that may cause um, work-related stress. You know, all in all, Islam, you know, it, it supports the Islamic teachings of being kind, fair, just, loving towards each other and helping each other where, where possible. So it's incredibly important um, and uh, f- a fantastic segment as well, um, Asim. Anything else you want to add, Asim, with regards to uh, stress or work-related stress? I mean, I think that that was all from my side, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Right, so um, if you'd like to catch up on the show, you can catch up on SoundCloud and listen on Google Podcasts as well. And if you want to get involved with the discussion, the number to call is 0208-687-7878. Um, and you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Find us on Instagram at Voice of Islam UK as well. For the second half, we're going to be discussing a, another interesting topic about increasing population, looking at kind of the aspects and there's this incredibly interesting article awesome you know england and wales the population Mm. has hit a record as uh, over 65s have overtaken the under 15s so an incredibly interesting kind of look at the 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 population Um, tell us the the gist of the story um, yeah so the gist of the story is that uh, o and s releases figures for the uh, 2021 census highlighting population rises. Uh, this causes worries about overcrowding, resources issues, issues, etc. However, others argue that this is just the peak and that population will diminish. This topic will, you know, will look at both views. Then, and of course, as we explore the Islamic teachings around procreation and the blessings of children and family. Fantastic. So, <clears throat> very briefly, I think you have some census results for us. Um, yeah. Just give us an overview. Sure. So, an overview of the census results is that uh, there's a surge of 20% in the numbers of people aged 65 and over in the past decade drove the population of England and Wales. It's a significant increase of 59,597,300. The Office of National Statistics shows that one, uh, sorry, 11.1 million people aged 65 and above compared with 10.4 million people aged under 15, thus changing a balance that has uh, favoured uh, the young for, uh, for decades. Uh, the, the questionnaire was filled out by households on 21st March 2021 and it is a 6.3 increase in uh, 2011 figures of 56,075,912. This is an additional 3.5 million people. That, that, I mean, that's really interesting. And I think this is a, a very interesting topic. Let's get some more insight and a bit more information. Let's turn to our first guest, who is John Gilbo. He's a professor, emeritus professor of family planning and reproductive health at UCL. 
Um, he spent his early life in East Africa, and whilst a second-year medical student at St. John's Cambridge, um, he, a, a lecture on multiple risks of relentless population growth led logically to high degrees in both surgery and gynecology. Thereafter, he's performed himself 4,000, over 4,000 vasectomies and a similar number of fertility regulating procedures for women. Um, his UCL chair and title professor in family planning and reproductive health was in 1993 in the first, uh, uh, the first in the world to be awarded to a clinical gynecologist. Uh, Professor John Gilbo, it's a pleasure to have you. Welcome to the Voice of Islam Radio. Good morning to you. Thank you very yeah. much for joining us and discussing this, this really interesting topic. Um, can we start by getting an understanding? Um, can you tell us a bit about this, the population of England and Wales age 65 and how it's finally, looking at these statistics that we've talked about, it surpassed the number of children who are aged under 15. And how do you view this finding? Was this expected? Yes, yes, uh, but uh, I'd like to place it all in context because we're, we're, we're a little island. We're 1% of the land area of the world, and we do have to consider the issue uh, also raised by, I think, the article in The Guardian that triggered this, that the actual total population of the UK has gone up from uh, uh, by 11 million since 1981, and that is uh, scary in a world which is already 8,000 million people and increasing by 85 million a year. So insofar as a drop in birth rate is the cause of a shortage of children, it's something we have to <clears throat> accept and should happen voluntarily, never coercively, but we need to get uh, uh, the world to accept smaller family sizes overall. And England and Wales are uh, right in the fact that we have done that and our, our average family size in the UK has come down to a little under replacement. And, and if it then means that there are fewer babies around to grow up <clears throat> to be workers and to look after the elderly, which is the concern people have about data like this, it's actually a little bit of pain we have to bear because uh, the overall project of getting human numbers to be stable on the planet and then eventually probably to come down is so important. Anyway, actually, in the UK, in, in England, rather, these figures are England and Wales, it's a very small difference. The, 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 uh, uh, the, the, the latest data from the census shows that the more than 65 is 11 million, and the less than 15 is 10.4. So that's still uh, 10.4 million. So that, that actually is not a very significant dependency ratio problem. Countries that have that are places like Japan and uh, South Korea, where is a, a much more of a problem, uh, but even then, one that can be lived with, uh, and we can discuss, I can go ahead now if you like, to discuss the ways we can live with it. Um, I don't think it's a major problem, basically, and I think it's something we should uh, kind of work through, uh, but not think, for example, we must breed for Britain to have more babies, because if we have more children, those in 60 years' time are more old people, aren't they? Uh, or 80 years, however long people live, and then you're going to need even more children to look after them if you're trying to yeah. work, keep, to keep the, uh, the ratio right. And so you get a perpetual population explosion. So that is not the answer. Absolutely. I think one thing that you said which is quite interesting is that um, as the population ages, you'll have less of a younger population to look after the, the older population. Yes, that's Can the you, concern it, that many people have. 
Sure. Can you expand on that a little bit more as to how we can get through this? What would be some of the challenges and what would society need to do as a whole to overcome those challenges or those worries? Well, the worry is one that economists have mostly. They're afraid that there won't be enough workers uh, and that this will affect um, growth and uh, all the rest of it that they, they favor. Uh, what they don't recognize, most of them, is that actually it's a self-solving problem. Once you've got your birth rate down to replacement fertility, which is what every country should do, then uh, the older people who were born at a time when birth rates were higher, as they get older, will obviously be more of them. That's just the nature of the situation. But eventually, even with uh, uh, better medical care, and, and that's why, of course, this ratio has happened mainly in England, that we are living longer because people are healthier, where we've stopped smoking as much as we used to, which is a great killer, and things like that. But eventually, we'll all die. And once the, once the old people do all die, then the number, the reduced number of births is, is okay. You get into balance anyway. So it's a, it's a short-term problem, first point. Second problem is, uh, it's a, a problem that solves another problem, and that is uh, technology and artificial intelligence, AI, are going to mean far fewer jobs around anyway. So people are simultaneously worried by two things which actually cancel each other out. They're worried there won't be the jobs because everybody will be made redundant because of AI and technology. And then they're worried about not enough workers. They needn't. These are two cancel each other out. Do you see my point? And then thirdly, uh, there's the fact that uh, we can use older people more. I'm an older person myself, and I retired. But I call it retirement, R-E hyphen T-Y-R-E, and then meant. In other words, I retire and do new things, and, then, and, and I'm still a contribution to, to society mm -hmm. and to, to others around. And that's also a thing we can do. So we can use other people longer. We can uh, let people... Uh, we need fewer people because of AI. Uh, and anyway, eventually things stabilize, uh, when you get a balance uh, coming back as the younger people get older <clears throat> and the older people aren't there anymore. Those are my three answers to the problem. Thank you very much. So uh, will it lead to a smaller city population in the future or is this just a temporary occurrence? I think it's just a, a, a transitory, trans temporary occurrence mm -hmm. uh, uh, because of what I say, that in fact the old people... We can't live forever, and uh, we drop off the plate, and uh, and things stabilize. Yeah. So the crucial thing is uh, that the birth rate stays uh, uh, sub-replacement, and uh, some people believe that the whole population of the world has grown far too much. In my lifetime, it's gone threefold up, and and anybody who's born in 1974 has seen the world double from 4,000 million to 8,000 million, mm. and that is completely unsustainable when you have the population of Germany arriving every year. That's 83 million people extra every year. Where are, the, where are we going to put them all? And, and think of what they do to climate change and to damage to habitats and the environment. It's not, it's not sustainable. So, um, so in fact, uh, it's it fortunate. The answer to your question is fortunate that this particular problem is, is not going to lead to uh, uh, a change uh, in, 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 in population size. Uh, but it didn't to be seen as a problem because we need fewer children. We need family sure. sizes which are average two, uh, basically. That's that's what we need for replacement. Sure. I mean, that's really interesting. First, what would be your comments on, um, for example, in less economically developed or less economically developed countries? We find that um, 
having a larger family or having more children is sometimes more favorable for the families in terms of um acquiring sort of that financial stability as well as kind of stabilizing whereas in developed countries we find that um we there's not really that necessity to have uh, that many children there's not that that drive there what would be your comments on kind of the comparison in different areas of the world and how that has a global impact on the population that's a very relevant point uh, there's no question that the acceptability of having a small family is less when you need children to look after you in your old age uh, because of no proper social security, etc., because of lack of development. I mean, I speak as somebody who knows about this because I was born and brought up in East Africa. Uh, but also, um, you need... Uh, <coughs> uh, the, there is the, the other uh, problem people draw attention to of... Uh, of, um, uh, as you say, that the young can go to work uh, in the fields and everything else. You need, uh, as uh, in fact it was uh, Chairman Mao said this in China, uh, every mouth has got two hands. And uh, in, a, in a poor situation, a uh, uh, less affluent situation, you notice the hands more than the mouth, don't you? So there is truth in all that. But what I point out is it really boils down to, to, to a matter of whether there's availability of the choice of contraception and uh, let's face it uh, in, in any relationship married or, 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 or living together sex happens as often as you can get it we all enjoy enjoy sex far more if you have three kids you don't have sex just three times do you have it many times and because of that uh, babies will come and so the actual normal size of any family in this country as well could be about 10 couldn't it so what is needed to help in the in, the, in countries like uh, say uh, Burundi where I was born uh, is the availability of family planning as a choice, the accessibility to it and the removal of the barriers to it and the fascinating thing is in about three quarters of the countries of the world which all had large family sizes about seven, five or seven in the past once access was obtained and women were able to have family planning and you removed the barriers which are sometimes cultural sometimes religious, sometimes just not having the methods or being too expensive, once those are gone, it's a uniform thing around the world that family sizes come right down and they finish up usually around two. And that's not going along the road to China. Without, you don't need that abhorrent idea of forcing people to have one-child policy. Mm, just, sure, yeah. just remove the barriers to family planning, including the availability barrier, and you'll find that couples, women particularly, don't want, after having had two or three, they don't want numbers four, five, six. They don't. And if you give them the choice, they, they will choose fewer, and which is good for the planet as well as good for their home. Because even in a poor situation, you've got a better chance for a smaller family to get your kids educated, to get them to, to um, uh, buy things in the home and, and, and you know, acquire the sort of, some, some ways television helps, you know, seeing what you could have. And you say, well, if that's the case, then let's have a smaller family. Uh, and so there's a way forward which doesn't have to be coercive. You just give people choices and remove barriers. Thank you very much. So, um, John, um, what kind of factors are considered when planning family, let's say, in, in the UK? Sorry, can you repeat that? Uh, what kind of factors are considered uh, when in planning yeah, a family? When, when people have children, well, uh, everywhere in the world, there's an instinct. I think we have a biological instinct we can't get away from mm -hmm. to have children. Secondly, <clears throat> there's the point I made about sex. We enjoy our sex, and in the absence of contraception, we'll have a large family anyway. So uh, what now in, in the 21st century, we have the choice. People can now 
choose, if they wish, with the accessibility to it, uh, to have smaller families than they do. But definitely also, even today, there are cultural factors and religious factors, which is still quite strong. Uh, most religions are pro-natalist. They say, be fruitful and multiply, etc. Uh, and that was right when you used to see, in, 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 even in this country, <clears throat> 200 years ago, <clears throat> you had to have about six kids in order to have two surviving because there's so much infant mortality. Mm. And once public health came in with uh, clean sanitation and then in the middle of the 20th century, antibiotics, which had a big effect, then the number of kids you had to have to replace yourselves needn't be so many. But we were too slow, in my view, to realize that and as a world to implement uh, voluntary family planning in the way I'm talking. So um, <clears throat> going back to an individual couple in this country, what I would love is that all couples would also be educated, because education is so important, in the idea of uh, your family is relevant, how big it is, to the environment, to climate change, because the only way to produce no greenhouse gases is not to be there at all, <laughs> in a way. Uh, and uh, also, the more people you have, uh, you get damage to uh, the environment uh, due to uh, habitat destruction, all that kind of thing, and agriculture, uh, you know, getting rid of the rainforest so that you can plant fields, and all, uh, all of that is to a considerable extent dependent on population. So I would wish that every couple would put into the mix of their decision-making when they come to decide how big their family is, not just their culture, not just their religion, not just their instinct, uh, but also add into it, what about the whole world, you know, and it's probably better to have your maximum number of children too, uh, and some people choose to have one or none, and they shouldn't be vilified. If they make that choice, you'll find women are often blamed, you know, what are you doing? You could have kids, why aren't you? Oh, another factor to your question, of course, is grandparental pressure. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the grandfather and grandmother, they want kids, don't they? So that also comes into the mix. But I would wish that, that all couples would put all these things together, but finish by saying, well, you know, we can probably give a better home to our children if it's a smaller family, and certainly the world as a whole. Well, the last thing it needs is, is uh, even more, and we've already got 85 million extra every year. I think that's, <clears throat> there's a couple of points there that you mentioned, Professor, that are really interesting and very, really relevant. Clearly, there's um, a whole host of factors, including culture, including yeah. kind of grandparental pressure and things yeah. like that. And actually, you know, we see, especially in Islam as well, we find that having children, it's not just about procreation. Each child, you know, as a, as a parent, you have a responsibility for the moral upbringing, the spiritual upbringing of that child. And so it's more quality over quantity. Brilliant. And, That's um, a really good point. And, you know, it's, it, to, to raise these kind of, uh, to, certainly to have two uh, or sort of a smaller amount of, of children who are who grow up to be moral morally kind of uh, excelling and spiritual individuals is better than having five or six children where you're not able to provide for them or you know give them the correct moral training and so from an islamic point of view as well we find that it, kind of education and understanding the responsibility is hugely important as well so yeah, well, I've, very... I've studied, although I, I come from a Christian background, but I have studied Islam quite a lot from this point of view. And it's fascinating that um, a, a Christian sect, and then in the Roman Catholicism, is opposed to contraception. But it's not uh, anti-Quranic. It's not against Hadith or any of the other sacred texts. 
actually, is it? It's, there's no, there, there's no uh, fortunately, nothing to say that contraception per se is un-Islamic. And that's no, an important point to get over. People sometimes think it is, and that's not so. Absolutely. And I think there's, there's other kind of aspects as well, cultural elements as well, which tie into this. But one really important thing that you've mentioned is is the aspect of education, not just kind of education of, of um, your society, but also religious education, really understanding yeah. what, the, what the teachings show and what the wisdom is behind them um, to actually kind of be able to implement that in society. Um, no, one no, final... right. In Islam... Uh, it does say that God will care for your children, that there is an ultimate uh, Allah is going to be looking after the children right. that you have. But isn't it also true to say, and, and some imams say this, that you can make God's job easier looking after your children by having fewer rather than more? I mean, in a way, that's Islamic, isn't it? So, I mean, this aspect of God being the ultimate provider to really understand, some people may un- may understand that differently and say, oh, well, you can have as many children as you want. But actually, if you look deeper into the teachings, God Almighty is kind of, in Islam, given parents particular roles, responsibilities, you have to attain this. And you simply can't um, do justice to those if you have more than what you can handle. So um, yeah, right. the aspect of, of religious education is hugely important. Uh, one final question, which we wanted to, to ask before, and we really appreciate the time you've taken, is that just touching on kind of current world views, um, uh, current world events, um, th- we've seen that wars in the past, so World War One, World War Two, had an impact on the population as a whole. If what aspect do you think would uh, a world war in the future or any kind of significant effect uh, event in the future have? What effect would that have on the population in developed countries and well, around sadly, the world as well? Sadly, uh, uh, it is uh, a, a, a fear that many of us have now. If we're fully involved in the environment, like I am, that climate change uh, will directly, uh, through uh, getting just too hot and uh, uh, fires and, and floods and uh, uh, the uh, I- impact on food availability and all that, but also indirectly through violence, uh, which is going to promote, make more likely, and therefore more wars, may lead to a huge increase in death rates. And so that the projections of the population of the planet could be quite wrong, uh, not because of uh, birth rates are changing, but because of death rates changing downwards, uh, I mean, uh, increasing hugely. So that is a worry. But you have to realize, A, that those are all horrible things which would be much better to avoid by family planning, let's face it, number one. But number two, the number of deaths we'd have to have, if that was all we did to try and stabilize the numbers, would have to be 83 million per year, because that's the extra number of people every year at the moment. Do you know, we only managed to kill 60 million in the entire Second World War, accounting for everybody, including the Holocaust, and that was six years. So the numbers to do it by death would be just out of the, out of the question. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's just looking at it purely mathematically, uh, but clearly far better to avoid anyway because death is horrible and uh, there's a better way, which is let's reduce the birth rates to be in balance. Let's have a balance. Uh, mm-hmm. We're out of balance. That's the main Absolutely. story. It's, Absolutely. Professor John Gilbert, it's been a pleasure to have you on The Breakfast Show on The Voice of Islam Radio. We hope to have you again, and we thank you very much for for taking the time out today. You're more than welcome.
Thank you very much. That was Professor John Gilbo, who is a Professor of Family Planning and Reproductive Health at UCL. Um, Some fantastic comments there. If you'd like to catch up, SoundCloud and Google Podcasts is where the episodes will be uploaded. Um, And you can always get involved in the discussion. The number to call is 0208-687-7878. I think we're coming towards the end of the show. Um, We had a fantastic discussion with uh, Professor John Gilbo. Um, Just before we kind of comment on that, we're going to move straight on to our second guest. Um, And we know we're we're limited for time, but we want to speak to uh, Andrew Mason, who's a senior fellow at East West Centre, Honolulu, Hawaii, and uh, is an emeritus professor of economics at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Professor Andrew uh, Mason, welcome to The Breakfast Show on The Voice of Islam Radio. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much for, for joining us. We've had a, a really in-depth discuss, discussion regarding this topic. Um, could you give us a little bit of information about uh, how you view the findings of this, this, uh, this, this topic we're talking about, where the population of England and Wales has aged above 65 and surpassed the um, kind of the the number of children under the age of 15. So how do you view this finding? Well, I think it's important to understand that this is a worldwide trend. It's not just England and Wales, uh, but in the U.S. where I live, but in in Europe and uh, parts of Asia, uh, the number of seniors is growing uh, much more rapidly than the number of children. and there's two reasons why this is going on. Uh, one is that people are living a lot longer than they used to. And the other is that people are having um, many fewer children than they've had in the past. You put those things together and you naturally get uh, rapid growth in the share of the population at old ages. Thank you very much. So, uh, Andrew, what uh, could possibly have caused the, uh, you know, the twenty percent surge in the number of people aged at sixty-five? Well, uh, the number uh, in that age group has grown a lot because of the baby boom, uh, which happened in the West. Uh, between 1946 and 64. So um, people in those age groups are reaching and surpassing age 75, and this will continue for some time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we've had a rather large increase in the senior population. Um, And that should continue, but not quite as rapidly as it has the last 10 years. Sure. So uh, are there some challenges that come uh, with collecting uh, such data? Oh, well, uh, I think, you know, two issues come to my mind. One is the issue of challenges that come with collecting data, and the other comes with the challenges that come with having such a rapidly growing uh, old age population. Hmm. And... uh, to me, that second question is a bit more interesting than the one about collecting the data. So let, let me say a little bit about that. Um, so we know that uh, 
people of different generations of different age groups are very uh, dependent on each other. So this comes in many forms. So um, some of it is through national programs like national health and, uh, insurance uh, in uh, England and Wales. Uh, there are also public pension programs, and these depend on younger people because younger people are paying paying the bills through taxes. Uh, but there are also many other ways that uh, older generations are, uh, depending on younger generations, uh, families, uh, for example, or we depend on uh, people who are older, depend on workers to uh, provide uh, health care uh, services to them and so forth. Um, but then it works the other way as well. Uh, seniors are, many seniors are, are very active. They're uh, healthy. Uh, they continue to work. Even if they're not working, they may, may provide a lot of services uh, through charitable organizations uh, that, that benefit younger generations. So uh, one of the big challenges with data is trying to understand how uh, aging is going to play out in its interaction uh, with the economy. So as far as collecting the data goes, well, we do a decennial census uh, in the United States. I, I believe that's the case in England and Wales. Yours was uh, conducted last year, I, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 2021 and so you, uh, you professor, sorry, sorry professor just one thing wanted to touch on was that you touched on this um the economic impact could you expand that uh, on that a little bit more what would be the kind of long-term impact on the economy um particularly in the uk with with this kind of statistic in the population uh sure um well, in a way, there's you know there's the pessimistic side of things, which is that uh, there are going to be so many more seniors relative to the number of taxpayers and workers, and so naturally we wonder how uh, we're going to pay for programs that really benefit seniors. Um, and so, when I feel pessimistic, I tend to focus on on uh, that uh, aspect of aging. Uh, but there's some other things that we should really keep in mind when we think about this. Uh, one, of course, is that uh, seniors are much healthier uh, than they used to be, and so they can continue to be productive to a much older age uh, than was true of the past. Uh, secondly, uh, one of the reasons, uh, so we're, get, we're getting a lot of aging because there are many fewer children, but uh, we can also afford to spend a lot more on our children. And so uh, what we're seeing uh, in the future is fewer children, but much healthier children, much more educated children, uh, in which we've invested a lot. So we may have fewer kids to support us in the future. Uh, but they may be much more productive. Uh, they will be more productive than than children in previous uh, generations. Uh, and then the final thing, uh, which I think is on many people's mind, is that uh, the 
we're experiencing a slowdown in population growth and in growth in GDP uh, and total consumption. And I think these things are all good because of their favorable environmental effects. Uh, so uh, many days, <laughs> I feel very optimistic about the kind of trends that we're seeing uh, in countries like England and Wales and the United States uh, and uh, many European countries. Sure. Um, what about kind of the, the rest of the world, the less economically developed countries and um, I suppose globally, because clearly the global population has an impact on things like climate change um, and kind of migration and, and just a long-term outlook. So um, what would be your kind of analysis of that? Um, I kind of put this question to uh, Professor John Gilbert, who we had on earlier as well, that in less economically developed countries, you see a trend where perhaps there's more of a, a culture to have more children because it's more economically favorable in the future and you have a better kind of support system in the future. What would be your, your take on that? Well, uh, that's true. I think uh, he's absolutely right about that, that uh, they they do have more children in uh, Africa and uh, uh, Western Asia, uh, South Asia. Um, but uh, the number of kids that uh, people are having in these countries is also in decline, uh, although more slowly than we experience in many Western countries. Um, the, the effects of changing age structure have been pretty favorable in many countries because what we're seeing is uh, uh, very rapid growth in the working age population and the number of workers. So we are uh, near all-time highs in the... Uh, ratio of workers to non-workers because sure. so many more people are concentrated in the working ages. Sure, fantastic. So that's um, that's led to a boost in uh, in and uh, economic growth in those uh, parts of the world. Brilliant, uh, Professor Andrew Mason. Um, we wish we had kind of more time to spend and and, dis and discuss this with you in a lot more detail. But it's been really interesting to have you on The Breakfast Show. Thank you very much for joining us on The Voice of Islam Radio. Okay, it was my pleasure. Thank you very much. That was Professor Andrew Mason, who's a senior fellow um, from the East-West Centre of Honolulu and also a professor of economics at the University of Hawaii in Manor. Um, we're coming to the end of the show. It's been two very interesting segments. Mm -hmm. If we... I think one thing that will be really nice to, to kind of finish off on is the Islamic angle on kind of what Islam views the importance on procreation and the blessings of having children as well. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the purposes of marriage is the procreation of human race. <clears throat> so um, God says in the Holy Quran, your wives are a sort of tilt for you. So approach your tilt as and when you like, and send ahead some good for yourself. That was from chapter 2, verse 224. Uh, so in this verse, Allah has pointed out an important object of marriage and likened the wives to tilt. He has exhorted the faithful to make their wives, uh, i.e. their tilt, fruitful and to observe all the necessary 
precautions in their conjugal relations so as to obtain good and healthy progeny. Um, so, uh, regarding the blessings of having children, uh, the prayer of uh, Zechariah is mentioned in uh, Surah Al-Anbiya, um, uh, verse 90 in, in the Holy Quran. And it says that, My Lord, leave me not childless, and thou art the best of inheritors. Since God Almighty has been called the best of inheritors, it is clear from this prayer that one should not pray to be granted offspring that become that can become the heirs in the worldly affairs, but instead such heirs be granted from God Almighty who give preference to the faith over the world. Absolutely. And I think, you know, clearly God Almighty has highlighted that, you know, this is a purpose of marriage. And the moral upbringing of these children is the responsibility of the parents. So um, we hope you have enjoyed today's breakfast show. Um, you've joined myself, Dr. Sharma, and Asim Hashmi on the show. And we'd like to thank our producers, researchers, and also our guests for joining us on the show. Um, you're listening to The Breakfast Show on The Voice of Islam. Asim, any finishing comments? Anything? Uh, any, anything you want to say at all? No, if thank not, you very much to everyone. Yeah. Fantastic. Peace be upon you to all of our listeners. Thank you very much.